Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Complete Sinners Guide. If you were on the Zoom call, you would see me headbanging because I absolutely love this intro. It's the greatest intro ever made, and whoever made this and, and, and put it on the royalty-free site so for us to download, thank you so much because this intro just rocks. So, But you are listening to the Complete Sinners Guide. I am your host, Tyler Fowler, with me. Jimmy Davison, Ty, Real Hard, Joshua Sherman, Michael Keaton, and the great Noah J. Chalaya. We're here to talk about Jesus Christ. We're here to talk about sin. We're here to talk about how you don't have to feel ashamed about that sin anymore because, ladies and gentlemen, 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ died for you. You who have ears, hear what I am saying to you. Christ died for you. That means, and, and not only that, he rose from the grave. Why? So we could have eternal life. This is the gospel message that we preach at the Complete Sinner's Guide. And, and, and just, I love it because I've experienced what it is like to be born again. That's what we're talking about. And not only that, but how we grow. The main question, the main concern that I have personally as a Christian, how do I become more like Jesus? That's what I want to talk about. That's, I think we should talk about that uh, going into the second hour. This is the second hour. If you missed the first hour by chance, it's cool. We will upload this, all of this uh, episode uh, by Monday, and you can find that at completecenters.com. We also got a lot of cool things in the works. We got a website coming out uh, where we'll be able to live stream from that website. Uh, you're uh, live streaming from kqqradio.com. Thank you so much. Uh, for joining us. If you're listening to us on 88.3 FM, uh, KQQ, thank you. Uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota. I've been there, man. You guys, it's cold. Uh, it's cold in Indiana too. And we got that big cold front coming in. So I'm, I'm with you guys up in North Dakota. You guys are almost Canadian. Uh, so I, I, but I've been there. Noah flew me out and I had a blast. So much hospitality. I love, it's kind of like going down South. Whenever you listen to somebody from Alabama talking that Southern twang, it's the same in, in North Dakota, but they just say a after everything. And they say, no, we don't say a, a it's just, no, yeah, you do. So just accept it and let's move on. Right. No. Uh, but anyway, with that being said, thank you for joining us. This is the complete centers guide. I'm your host, Tyler Fowler. And let's, let's just take off uh, where we left off. Uh, Michael Keaton, we haven't heard a lot from you in the first hour. Brother, bring it back to us in the second. What you got, bro? Well, you know, when we talk about discipleship, I kind of go back to something that Jimmy uh, just said a little earlier when he talked about on the last episode. Uh, you know, not everybody's got, not, not everybody has the gift of evangelism, but indeed we're all called, uh, you know, we're all called to, to give the gospel. And so when we're, when we, when we're born again, uh, it's always good for us to look at someone who's not as far along as we are and to reach out and to, and to be willing to help them and to teach them some things. And the good thing about this big, great big family of our Lord is that if we don't know something, that's no problem because there's always somebody a little higher up that we can kick it to, uh, to ask questions. And, you know, I heard a saying once that, uh, one Christian is no Christian. And obviously while that's just an, an aphorism, you know, uh, our faith is a communal faith and, and, and we're just so blessed here in the West, especially here in America, because I think about those people in Pakistan and North Korea and places where they just, they're, they're just not able to, to publicly worship without being harassed and persecuted. We have so many great opportunities. And, and so to always be, there's always somebody not as far along as we are to reach out to them. Hey, do you have any questions? What's going on with you? Or do you want to do a Bible study with, we can do Bible studies at home. We can meet up in public at libraries and do Bible studies. We're so blessed. And today in our social media age, we can do Bible studies online together. 
And there's just so many more avenues that we have. And, 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 you know, I don't think anyone should ever be intimidated or think, you know, I just don't possess the tools to disciple somebody because we can always, uh, and even learn together. Uh, but like I said, if there's someone who's not far along as, as we are in their walk, uh, man, we should be just constantly out there trying to find someone. Hey, is there anything, how you doing brother? Uh, is there anything you're struggling with? Any kind of questions that you've, you've been wondering about? And, hey, if I don't know it either, we'll go to someone who does. And, I mean, we are, at the end of the day, a family. All the different shapes and sizes of Christians, wherever we are, you know, if we confess that good gospel, we're brothers and sisters. And so discipleship is one of the, one of the fundamental tenets of our faith. And, and we're not doing it alone. We're doing it with our Lord. So we're participating with him as we do it. It's beautiful. And I can't wait to hear what the things that are said about it, you know. Let me ask you this, Mike. You brought up a really interesting or really relevant point. We do have those freedoms to just get out. And we don't live in a place like Pakistan, for example, where people are persecuted. If you profess the name of Christ, this is like first century Rome. You're persecuted. You're killed uh, for that. So, Mike, let me ask you this. How much, and I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm expecting something just terrible to happen, right? Like, like the end of the world or something like that. But we, at the same time, same aspect or different aspect, <clears throat> that day is coming. So let me ask you this. Do you see personally, and then we can maybe hit the round table once, but do you see personally, Chris, specifically Christian freedom slipping away from American culture, as in it is being more openly persecuted um i i think i see that a little bit um more happening oh. but 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 let me oh. just to read to kind of rephrase it is christianity becoming something that is not only looked down upon or frowned upon here but actually spoken out against and maybe even leading into persecution absolutely i don't have any doubt about it i've got a book sitting here on my shelf right now called persecution by david limbaugh and that thing's got to be closing in on uh 15 years old, if not older by now, it was already then because a good way to gauge there's, there's hard persecution, which is what they go through in, in China and Pakistan. And then there's soft persecution. And I don't want to be overly dramatic either, but how it started with the Jews in, 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 in Germany under Hitler was it started with the soft persecution. Let's go after them in the media. Let's cut them down that way. And so certainly we've been in the stages of soft persecution for a while. And anyone who doubts that, I would say, uh, look at, look at television, uh, uh, look at look at what's going on in movies. Uh, it's okay to, to poke fun at Christianity. It's okay to insult Christianity. That's fine. It's okay to make an art where you have a crucifix with Christ on it in a jar of urine. That's okay. It's okay to make a portrait of Mary that's smothered in feces. But if you try those things against Muhammad or or Buddha, it's a different story. Certainly, there's a there's a cultural uh, uh, distaste for Christianity. And before we were ridiculed and mocked because we were anti-science. And now it's because of our morality. There's certain things that the culture has accepted that we just cannot. There's no way we can accept certain things now that are considered good. And so, yes, that makes people hate you. When people feel that you're backwards and that you're, you're – see, it was, that's one of the greatest tricks that Satan's pulled in the 20th century is before you could say, I don't like Christians, but I have to admit they're good people. So the trick is how do you get people to stop seeing Christians as good people? Well, you, you start calling things that are bad good, and then when Christians can't accept them and can't affirm them, then you can label them hateful. Absolutely. If you look at what's happened in Europe, in certain parts of Europe, 
we're usually a few years behind them, and already people are being jailed simply for defending what the Bible says about gender and, and other controversial things like that. So I, I just, unless there's a work of the Lord to change it, I can't say that there's just, that I can't see any possible way that we're not about to start enduring some actual physical persecution. Even just recently, in fact, there was a pastor, and he shouldn't have done this, but he, he, he stole an LGBT flag from some business, I think, uh, and burned it, the rainbow LGBT flag. This guy got sentenced to 16 years. Now, he shouldn't have did that for sure, but 16 years because he stole the flag and burned it. If that doesn't tell you where we're headed and how this culture looks at Christianity and Christian values, then I don't know what could. You said something also very interesting in, in that last part. You said we was openly mocked because of our view with science and, and, and religion and science clash, you know, back in the Enlightenment period all the way up till, till very recently it changed. There's been a shift. We are now, like you said, we are being persecuted, mocked, um, you know, ridiculed for our moral beliefs now. Um, I just, it, uh, I, oh, I don't have pulled up. I was going to read 1 Corinthians 6, but anyone knows 1 Corinthians 6, 9, it starts out like this. It says, do not be deceived. And then uh, Paul goes on and gives a list of things, uh, of not things, but ways people live. They're, they're kind of lifestyles, per se, thieves, liars, homosexuals. Um, all these different things, but he says, don't be deceived. If you're like this, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say the beautiful words, some once were some of you, right? You guys once lived this way. You, you were dead in your trespasses, as Paul says in Ephesians, right? And, and, and so just to see then, you know, to, to do full circle, to see that person become born again, to change and to then walk in newness, as the Bible says, is just pure, I think, ecstatic. It, it's, it's, I've done ecstasy before. It's better than ecstasy um, for those who have tried that. Don't, don't try ecstasy. But the point is, it's something that it, it heightens the senses to a degree that you won't feel without it. And the point I'm trying to say is not only do you get that with God, you get much, much better. Uh, Joshua Sherman. So we were talking about um, discipleship a little bit, and, and I just kind of want to bring it back to that. There's there's a saying I, I heard recently uh, that just echoes um, what what Michael was saying that um, we we go to heaven together and we go to hell alone, and you know we need each other, and you know so when we're talking about discipleship. I, I think probably the two two biggest things uh, that I would think of is, you know, essentially what we're trying to do is we want to come alongside somebody. We want to help them grow so that they are, are strong in their faith and they can persevere themselves, whatever comes, um, whether, you know, you talk about the parable of the sower, right? You know, we don't want to have the birds come along and, and pick up the seed that was sown. We don't want to have the weeds that grow up. We don't want to have the rocks. We don't want to have all of these things, the cares of the world, uh, the... Um, you know, spiritual forces of darkness, any of these things stand in the way of their growth. And so part of that is, is helping them root out sin. Part of that is helping them to, to root into God and into the Word. But part of the reason for doing that is precisely so they can then make disciples. And so if we're, if we're making disciples that don't reproduce themselves, I feel like we're doing it wrong. And I feel like a lot of the church is kind of doing that right now, where we're, we may be helping people grow, but we're not helping people actually get out and, and, and evangelize and, and tell people the gospel, whether it's people they know or the people they don't. 
And I, I look at things like, you know, and I think I probably even said this before in one of the episodes here, but, you know, when you talk about bearing good fruit, like, what is that, right? I think sometimes we look at that as like, oh, like, I looked good doing something today. <laughs> or, you know, I did, I hope this grandma across the street or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But bearing good fruit in a lot of ways, when you start thinking about it biblically, fruit is where the seed is. That's where the next generation is. Bearing good fruit is bearing good disciples. It's, it's, it's bringing people to the faith and helping them grow so that they can do the same thing, right? And so this is stuff that I, I really just feel like the church needs to do better. And, you know, thinking back to where we started talking about with, um, with the church kind of sliding into cultural norms, this is one of the ways that we fight it the best, I think, is that we, we have individual people that are being strengthened into the faith where they're not, they're not getting caught up by the fact that the standard has changed and the language is being changed and, uh, and things are uncomfortable if they disagree with the status quo. Right. Let me ask you this real quick, uh, Joshua. Yeah. Before we help others, how important is it? Because going back to the, what the caller, I, I, I really cannot get that out of my head. I, I want to dive into Psalm 51 uh, just real quick, because I think this answers the question, but I'm getting the cart ahead of the horse here. What do you think that helping others starts with us? Or are we in danger if we are not focused and worried about ourselves and, and becoming more like Christ Jesus ourselves, right? Jesus said that, you know, how can you talk to somebody about a speck in their eye when you got a log in your own? And we, but, you know, becoming in danger then of the blind leading the blind, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you think that works out in and of itself? Does, does, does helping others really and truly start with us or do we, do we just neglect ourselves to help others in that, in that sense? Oh, man. I mean, if you want to neglect yourself to help others, you're going to end up in a, whole, a world of hurt. Um, sure. But um, the other side There's of that extreme. is, you know, like the biggest thing is pressing into God because, you know, he is the one that helps you through so much of this stuff. And, you know, if we're doing that, then um, that is, is what enables uh, our motives to change. That is what enables God, uh, us to be, you know, open as, as God is working on rooting out um, the sin in our lives, you know, we, we have to press into God, but, but that work is something that, that, you know, God alone is the one that can do effectively and permanently and, um, in ways that just enable us to, um, to be a good witness and to be a light to the world. I think, I think in the conversation, when we, when we get to talking about discipleship specifically, um, it, it seems like when, when we're talking about that end of things, we're really talking to the, the, the already Christian who's in a position of, of a, a sufficient maturity that they can, they can be worthy of following in some sense. And ultimately, I think that when we're talking about leadership, leadership is being worthy of following. It's not just being the loudest person or having the most charisma or whatever, because, some leaders aren't terribly likable at first. And then you recognize that, no, they have the quality of consistency and they're worthy of following, right? And so when we find that person, I think two of the distinctives about their life, that's going to make them worthy of following in a Christian sense. Mm. The first is obedience. And the second is 
humility. And humility is not necessarily thinking that I'm less than you. It's thinking of me less than you and making me not the central part of my thoughts. And in fact, pushing those thoughts outward toward others and my care, my humility will be something that's genuine and not just how I want you to perceive me. It'll really be me because I've gotten past me and I'm, I'm genuinely looking at you. And that means that I can care for you. And it's not because of anything I want from you. It's just because you are you and I want to care for you. And if I have, if I have a sufficient maturity in, in my walk with Christ that I've come to a place where people see me as worthy of following, then God will naturally grant me new opportunities to be a leader. Right. And grant mm -hmm. those the leaders that are listening right now or future potential leaders that are listening right now. If you try to make disciples that follow you, you will fail. But if you make disciples to follow Christ yes. and because they're following somebody who looks like him, they can follow you to him because you are not the end game. Christ is the end game. So we're not making disciples of ourselves. We need to be worthy of following. So it's not only just obedience like legalism. It's genuine humility to push past ourselves and genuinely look to see those who we are discipling do so well that we become irrelevant. Amen. Yeah. Um, I think some somebody asked the question of, you know, do we neglect ourselves to look at the spec or whatever? And I think there is, I think, Neglect is not good sacrifices. Sacrifice does not equal neglect. We, we should sacrifice for other people. We should, that goes along with humility. We should put our own interests aside to help people, to lead them to Christ, to point them to the truth. But sacrificing for somebody else means that we are also growing, that we are looking more like Christ. We we, we're examining ourselves to make sure we don't have the log in our own eye to point out the speck. Neglect would be having the log in our own eye to point out the speck. Neglect would be hypocritical um, because if we're telling people you need to turn from your sins uh, and repent and all that kind of stuff, and we're neglecting that in our own life, then we don't become a leader worth following. One of the things that I recall, and, and this may happen, this may be an embarrassing uh personal story. I don't, I'm not sure anyone else has experienced this, but hopefully I'm not entirely alone. But uh, it seems to me that there's a culture in the church, and it may not be the dominant culture. It may be, uh, but it's certainly there. And that is when we when we, when we first uh, are born again, we start to make connections, and we start to attend church. We expect growth, and the people around us expect growth. And, and it, sometimes it can get to feel that we're, uh, uh, the, the organic nature of our walk kind of slides to the side and we kind of replace it with this expectation okay I, I should be showing growth I should be doing this and you know scripture tells us confess your sins to one another and I can recall being a, a fairly new Christian uh, my wife and I were baptized on the same day in the same river uh, and very early on we were we were a new 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 couple uh, with young children uh, and, uh, and and we would have problems with one another we, we just would have trouble getting along or it would be something else. And the feeling for us, instead of seeking someone from church to say, Hey, can you, which we did eventually do, but there was a, a time when we were just, it was like, okay, we're going to church now. So let's, 
let's put on the Christian face and let's, uh, it wasn't that we were out here not being Christians, but there was an area where we could have used help. And, and instead we almost felt when we got to church, like we should be, we don't want to disappoint anybody with, with backwards, uh, by going backwards, we, we should be making progress. And it seems to me that sometimes we, we can have that feeling of, okay, when I go to church, I don't need to address that I'm struggling with this or that. Uh, and, and that really can impede on our, on our walk. And so, you know, discipleship is just such a beautiful thing. And, and I think that really shows itself in the mentor pupil relationship, because so many great Christians of the past have, have had that relationship with somebody. We know that iron sharpens iron. Uh, and so someone will be discipled by someone else. And then this person will be discipled by this person. And so that for, for Christian growth, that's what we need. We need each other. Uh, uh, like Josh right. said, the opportunities will be there, and I think we should look for those opportunities. And if we know deep down that we need it, we should be willing to look around and say, hey, is there someone here who's willing to fill that role for me? And uh, so that's something that, you know, we also have to be cognizant of the fact that we're human and that we are fallible and that we're not going to always do the things that we need to do. So self-reflection and, 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 and you know, kind of introspective looking at where I'm at and, and where I need to be, I think that goes a long way on both sides of discipleship. Amen. And I think there's something important about, hold on a sec. I think there's something important about what you just said, uh, uh, Michael, that, that, that really can, can speak loudly to the leaders that are already in that position is you said specifically, we didn't want to feel like we were having a, being a disappointment to our leaders as though, uh, we were moving backward. Progress was expected. Right. And so that the expectation of progress um, should, shouldn't be something that, that is so much in the foreground of the discipler that the person who's being discipled doesn't feel like they can trust their vulnerability to the person in the discipling uh, uh, position. There needs to be that trust relationship because without trust, there isn't vulnerability. And without vulnerability, there's no intimacy. And without that, there's no relationship. There's just performance art. No, absolutely. That's a really good I mean, way to put it. No, and, and and you're absolutely right. You're just offering lip service at that point because here's the thing, and 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 Michael, you know, to your point, and I guess I this is why I asked if you would, you know, and I and I did kind of put you on the spot if you would share with us what was going on, you know, with your week in the first hour, because I I know just talking to you personally, there is a trust. I have a trust relationship with that any anyone on this screen on this zoom call that i could call in a heartbeat and would be willing to confess so practically i think putting that into practice even tonight i want again like i said csg is a podcast for those maybe listening for the first time tonight where i want to be able to show you and to give you steps to actually start with tonight to start doing these things so call a friend if you feel guilty about something like or, 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 or you don't know what to do. This is why God has given us brothers and sisters, period, in the subject. I mean, this is why God has given us spouses. This is why God has given us relationships. And and somebody said, or Brad actually said it, um, Brad Schmidt said it the other, uh, the last time he was on uh, the episode, or, or CSG, he said basically that Christianity is a relationship. And that, you know, that kind of slogan gets thrown around a lot, or, or that saying does, but it's true. There's an element of truth to that. Christianity is, is, is why it's different than Islam, for example, is because people don't have a relationship with Allah. They are a slave to Allah. That's not that 
that's not a father-son relationship. That's a master-slave relationship. So yeah, it is a relationship. But the point I'm trying to make is Christianity is a loving relationship. God, the, the Bible says it clearly. God is love. And, and, and with the biblical definition of that word, right? I want to kind of transition getting into the, to the second half of the, uh, the, the show. I want to read Psalm uh, 51. And, and because, listen, do not, let me warn anybody listening right now, do not get hung up on examining yourself. Here's why I say that, because it'll drive you insane if all you're focused on is your sin. With that being said, if you're focused on yourself and your sin, you're not focused on the heavenly things, and you're definitely not focused on Christ. A call to examine oneself is not a call to dwell on one's sin. Again, I have to be clear that sin has been forgiven. First John says that we are overcomers already. We're, the series is overcoming sin, sin and temptation. And where you start with that is your faith in Christ. And guess what? If you have that, John says you already have overcame. That the, 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 you've overcome the world at this point. Why? Because you're connected to Christ. But I want to read the sinner's prayer, the honest, the biblical, the spirit-filled sinners of prayer or sinners prayer. And I and I want everybody, including us on the show right now, I want us to listen to to the psalmist. I, I don't want to drag this out, but I want us to honestly listen to the psalmist and see if our heart mirrors what the psalm because here's the thing Psalm 51 is a confession to God written for believers. That that is what Psalm 51 is in a nutshell. And so here a heart that is stricken with depression, that is stricken with grief. And hear the beginning of that and how that ends up for this person whose faith is in God. He starts out like this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, because of your loyal love. This is covenant partner. This is love between one, between one and another. He says this, he says, because of your great compassion, wipe away. We don't serve a God who is just pissed off all the time and waiting to strike someone down. We serve a God who is compassionate, who is patient. The fruits of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. These are all fruits of of God. These are all characteristics of God that we serve. We serve a loving God. Now listen, it says, because of your great compassion, wipe away my rebellious acts, wash away my wrongdoing, cleanse me of my sin. For I am aware of my rebellious acts. I am forever conscious of my sin. In layman's terms, that means he's always thinking about his sin. It's always on his mind. God is the only one who can wipe that away, who can cleanse that sin. A psychiatrist can't do it. A doctor can't do it. Medicine cannot do it, ladies and gentlemen. Only Jesus can do that. Because, verse 4 says, against you, you above all, I have sinned. Not Bathsheba. This confession happens after Bathsheba, after David killed the woman's husband to have sex with her. He fornicated with a man's wife and then killed 
the man to cover it up. <clears throat> he says, against you, you above all have sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. Newsflash, ladies and gentlemen, we all have. Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hear this, because this is you, whether you realize it or not. This is you. So you are just when you confront me. You are right when you condemn me. The psalmist agrees that he is a sinner against God and that he deserves hell and punishment and wrath because he has broken what God has asked him to do. He did not do that. He did the opposite. So, so you're just when you confront me and right when you condemn me. Look, I was guilty of sin from birth, a sinner the moment my mother conceived me. Look, you desire integrity in the inner man. Now, here he goes on to say, that he, God desires integrity, not lustful, youthful passions that we all have had, that the men, men struggle with this. I know I struggle with this. You're not alone. We struggle with this, this, this lust thing, but, but the desire of God for men is integrity in the inner man. He says, you want me to possess wisdom, not just knowledge, but wisdom, practical steps, wisdom is knowledge basically lived out that is what wisdom is verse 7 says cleanse me with hyssop and i will be pure wash me and i will be whiter than snow the psalmist can't do it god must cleanse him god must make him whiter than snow because the verse uh, the psalmist goes on he says grant me the ultimate joy of being forgiven see here's the thing if you're feeling shameful and ashamed and, and just down and, and, and guilty listen this brings joy. The fruit of the Spirit is joy, pure joy that only God can give, not like worldly things bring, not that kind of joy. If you've never experienced this joy before, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And those who have experienced it, they love it. They want nothing more than the joy that God brings because it's a joy like nothing you've ever experienced. It says, he continues, may the bones you crushed, here is language, May the bones you crushed rejoice, hide your face from my sins, wipe away all my guilt, create from me a pure heart, O God, renew a resolute spirit within me, do not neglect or do not reject me, do not take your Holy Spirit away from me, let me again experience the joy of your deliverance. He's crushed. He's begging God. See, here's the, the, here's the cool thing about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the new covenant is, is a permanent indwellment of the believer. Why does the David say, God, don't take your Holy Spirit from me? Because the Holy Spirit was never a promise to a believer in the old covenant. The Holy Spirit never indwelt. So yes, you, this, this verse is not saying you can lose your salvation, ladies and gentlemen, I promise you. But what it is saying, Paul or David's plea with God because he was anointed king he was given the spirit of God and he could be taken away from him at any time just like Saul let us not forget King Saul but he pleads do not take away your Holy Spirit why because if David knows that he ends up just like Saul he knows what it's like to end up without the Holy Spirit look at Saul he says let me again experience the joy of your deliverance sustain me by giving me the desire to obey then, and then only, I will teach rebels your merciful ways, and sinners will turn to you. Rescue me from the guilt of murder, O oh God. So here's confessing his sin of murder 
of Uriah to God, O God, the God who delivers me, then my tongue will shout for joy because of your righteousness. O Lord, give me the words, then my mouth will praise you. Certainly you do not want a sacrifice or else I would offer it. You do not desire a burnt sacrifice. The sacrifice God desires, listen to this, is a humble spirit. O God, a humble and repentant heart, you will not reject because you favor Zion, do what, or because you favor Zion, do what is good for her, fortify the walls of Jerusalem, then you will accept the proper sacrifices, which is love from a giving heart, burnt sacrifices and whole offerings, then bulls will be sacrificed on your altar. Sacrifices then at that point will be given to God that God loves and God actually takes part in and wants to receive. Let us not forget Ezekiel and Jeremiah. God said, I hate your Sabbaths. I hate your festivals. But the psalmist prophesies of a day when all of these spiritual now sacrifices are offered to God and he accepts them. The point, why did I read this? Why did I take seven minutes to read this entire thing and kind of expound it for everybody? I want you to hear the heart of a person who is trusting God. I want each and every, if you don't do anything with this episode, I want you to stop right now and I want you to examine your heart and I want you to see if it's anything like the psalmist. Because if it is, then cry out to God. Pray that he would give you his Holy Spirit because Matthew 11 says that God, if, if we who are evil know how to give that which is good, how much more will the Holy Spirit give to those who ask or how much will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Matthew 11. Ask God for the Holy Spirit. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's cool. In Acts 10, there's a, there's a beautiful picture of the Holy Spirit descending. And I'm long-winded for a reason, but just hear me out, please, for a second. There's a beautiful picture whenever the gospel is given, that whenever Peter was saying that Jesus, this, this person who has prophesied all throughout the whole Old Testament, to come to the king of Israel, to come to take away the sins of his people, to rise on the third day, and then to come back, not then to reign from heaven, and then come back to judge one day. Because that, ladies and gentlemen, that's exactly what's going to happen. Jesus is coming back one day to judge the world. This is the gospel. This is good news for some. And let me tell you something. This is bad news for others. Because let me tell you something. People, some people do not believe this message that we're saying this message doesn't come from us. This message comes from God. God knows there's going to be people who reject it. So I'm talking to people who actually care, who actually give something about their own life. The center, I was again reading Luke, and, and what came to my mind was the guy who Jesus, who Jesus himself said, This man is justified. It was the pu or it was the it was the uh, the publican. It was not the Pharisee. It wasn't the man who fasted twice a week. If you think God loves the religious people, it wasn't the people who fasted twice a week. It wasn't the people who kept the Sabbath. It wasn't the people who wouldn't boil an egg just because they were afraid they were doing work on the Sabbath. It wasn't the people who lived the most external law that you could live. It wasn't them. It was the person that said, God, I am done in your eyes. And if this was not on the radio, I would probably say the other word, but that's what it means. It means to be so low that there's nothing, that there is absolutely nothing. That's how, the, that's how David felt 
This is how everyone who is being worked on by the Holy Spirit, I believe, feels. And the reason I say that, to bring it all full circle, and then whoever wants to go, please jump in. This is reality. You're either feeling this or you're not. And if you are, hear me, hear me, please. Cry out to God because he is the only one that can save you. Yeah, so, I mean, Psalm 51 is my favorite psalm. Um, the last time I preached, I preached on Psalm 51. It's very near and dear to my heart. But brokenness, the, the heart that David puts behind this psalm is, the, is a completely appropriate reaction to sin. I mean, to, to be broken over a sin, it's not to say that every time we do something small, I mean, every sin is sin. But to do something small, we have to get down on our knees and sob and weep and, you know, repeat this over and over again. It's not. But when Dave, the context of this, this is most likely a year after his sin with Bathsheba. I mean, his baby that Bathsheba conceived was born at this point. So it had to be at least nine months after um, the sin that David was just pushing this sin down, that he wasn't dealing with it. He wasn't repentant. He wasn't acknowledging his, his guilt here until Nathan the prophet came and pointed it out to him, that he called him out. And if we're going to go back to the discussion on discipleship, we need friends like Nathan. Like we do. We need that person who when we backslide Amen. or when we fall, because we're going to. I, I believe a true Christian can even be involved in serious sin for a season. I, re, I truly do. Ty, real quick, if I can, just real quick, the difference, ladies and gentlemen, the different, how do you, how do I know if I'm a Christian or how do I know if I'm just stuck in sin? And here's the thing, here's, here's, here's how you can tell that you actually care. The Bible says that the just man, after he falls seven times, he gets back up. Mm -hmm. Don't stay down. Don't yeah. stay down. Get back up. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're fine. Um, but, you know, when we do into those places, if we're not quick to repent, because here's the thing, when, when we sin, we need to run to the cross. And I think the time when we don't want to run to the cross is when we sin, because we have guilt, we have shame. But that's the, that's the, that's the time that we need to. That's the time we need to fall at the foot of the cross, to quickly repent, Instantly. to look towards Christ, as, yeah, if I, could, as, uh, if I could just really quickly say, uh, yeah, Mike, go ahead. I think it was Spurgeon who I think it was Spurgeon who made. Uh, I'm, I'll just paraphrase what he said, but he was basically speaking to people who don't feel who who committed some sin and they feel so bad that they feel like I'm too dirty now to even go to the Lord. Mm -hmm. He said uh, people that have that attitude are like sick people who think that when you're sick is is the, is, is the time you don't want to go to the doctor. No, when you're right. in that condition, that's when you need the doctor the most. And <laughs> yeah, I know there's certainly been times when I committed some sin and my thought was, oh man, I'm just, I'm so ashamed. I can't even think about talking to the Lord right now. And, and you guys are just spot on. Jimmy's really spot on. At that moment, that's when you need to go to the Lord the most. Yeah. Think about and it real, real quick. Think about it like this. The prodigal son, the guy thought he, he had it all worked out on my father. I'm going to go be his hired servant. And the father said, no, my son, my son, you've come back to me, my son. That's how God, don't fear God in that way. Don't fear God for punishment. Jesus took that punishment. God is not going to punish you. God loves you. Yeah. But, but we need those friends like Nathan. 
we yes. we need Absolutely. those people who are not afraid who won't sugarcoat anything i mean nathan told that story about the lamb and david was enraged over it he was ready to put the guy to death who did that and nathan says hey by the way that was you <laughs> you know he called him out for it we need those types of friends and i think there is a time for that for to come along somebody with your arm around him and be like hey bro i love you we're going to get through this. We need to work it out. And then there is the time when you need to be like, no, dude, you messed up and I love you. <laughs> I'm going to be here for you, but this is serious and we need to deal with this. We, you need to deal with this. You need to get right with God. And my favorite line in Psalm 51, Tyler, you, you spoke on it a little bit was that let the bones that you have broken. Okay. God is the one who breaks us over our sin. He's the one who changes our heart from a heart of flesh to uh, or a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. He's the one who breaks us initially. There's a story of shepherds back in the day. They would have their flock. And if the, if they had a lamb that would go astray over and over and over again, the shepherd would go bring him back, go bring it back, go bring it back. But if it was a constant thing, so think of it like us going astray if we're sinning and it's this constant thing. The shepherd would break the leg of the lamb and hold the lamb over his shoulders so that the lamb depended only on the shepherd for protection, for food. But ultimately, it might seem cruel for a shepherd to break the leg of the lamb and the lamb might not understand why the shepherd is doing that. And we may not understand in the moment why God chooses to discipline us in certain ways. But the point is, when the lamb's leg healed, that lamb would stay close to the shepherd for the rest of its life. The point in brokenness is to rely on God. The point of brokenness is to stay close to God because he's the one who brings us up. He's the one who mends us. He's the one who puts us back together. And so I think, yes, brokenness is an appropriate reaction to our sin and repentance means that we recognize that and we turn away from it and we head down towards the cross as fast as we can i agree with that i think that's actually a really good way of putting that one of the things that i think that we can derive also from from psalm 51 is that <laughs> it's not it's not foreign to the human condition to recognize that life seems to be characterized by suffering and lack and not just general suffering and lack, but our own, our own lack that brings our own suffering and even the suffering of other people. And we bear the guilt for our action or sometimes our inaction. And we feel that and we feel the weight of that. And and it begins to drag on us if we don't bring it and 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 unload it where it belongs at the foot of the cross. If we don't do that and we continue to carry it. We begin to be some sort of disfigured thing spiritually, like Quasimodo. We're carrying something on our back that does not belong there. And those who are aware can see the disfigurement and say, look, friend, you need to deal with this because it's it's crushing you. The weight is there. But then you have to, again, there, there needs to be somebody in the leadership position who is in such a deep obedience themselves that their eyes are open to such a thing and that their, their mouth could be open to such a thing. Because somebody who is uh, in that position that they haven't dealt with their personal sins on that level and they haven't, they, they don't have the, the lived experience of successfully fighting a sin and then they want to go and tell somebody else about their sin and then that person 
inevitably is going to say, okay, now what, what do I do? And then both of them have a question mark over their head because neither of them know how to address these things. Mm -hmm. And so this is where I think the rubber meets the road is what we're talking about right now is the difference between that contrition, that brokenness that David felt and the kind of weight that somebody who's going to feel the weight of their own uh, uh, isolation. They've shut themselves off from correction. They've shut themselves off from prayer. They've shut themselves off from repentance and they've shut themselves off from confession of that repentance that's speaking the same. Um, the, the, the repentance that we, that we first, first we feel that conviction, right? And, and that's something that the spirit brings to us. But if we, if we respond inappropriately to that conviction, it begins to feel like condemnation because Satan will take hold of the carrot on the stick and he will guide you right down deep into your self-loathing and all the other things that come along with the weight of that until eventually you either feel that weight so much that you don't know how to deal with it anymore and you do something drastic like harming yourself or someone else or else you cease to feel and you become seared towards your sin. And that can be even that can be just as dangerous because then you cease to care. And even the smallest things that used to bother you now don't don't bother you at all. And bigger things that would have been unquestionably wrong become something that you kind of toy with. And it just it leads you down roads that that it's 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 like a steady decline that's so so slight that there's no red marks on it, but you just you keep gaining speed and velocity as you go down, and it's just a bad train to be on. So this this acknowledging, it needs to be acknowledged that when you're in that state, I feel low, I feel cut off, and I think I've done it to myself. Now what? The now what is you, you need small practical steps to bring yourself back out of the disobedience. And the first thing is to recognize your need for submission to spiritual authority, because those people that are around you that are worthy of following, they're ready to lead you, friend, and they're ready to lead you right out of where you are into where you should be. And the first thing that you need to do is say, I'm not where I should be, and then find that person. Go to your local church body, submit yourself unto a good, unto a good pastor, and then ask that pastor who the elders are in that church. Learn these people. They've been through it. They see you. They understand. And even if they don't, you have your particular lived experience. That doesn't mean that they won't understand where you're coming from with some kind of empathy or sympathy. Life is hard and all of us are going through something, you know, and and one of the things Amen. that happened on the last episode we did, which is it really tripped me out is all of us said, maybe it's just me. And then all yeah. of us said, no, me too. That's important. Yeah. The leaders are there to tell you first. Yeah. Me too, friend. The thing that I, I see happening right now, especially because of this COVID thing, the shutdowns, uh, the fact that everybody's using the internet a lot more and the internet has more than just church to offer us, let's be honest. There's a whole lot on there that we should not even be dabbling with. And there's a lot of gateways and a lot of doors that we're ready to start knocking on if the church doesn't yeah. get as, doesn't get as, as there needs to be a voice at home. You know what I mean? Like it, it can't just be the world outside talking to you and telling you and whispering sweet nothings in your ear. There needs to be a voice at home right. that can speak louder and say, no, this is what's worth your time. You and God, your obedience, your humility and bringing other people to the kingdom. These are priority. Right. And, and, and to get into a position to understand that, but also be the person that's receiving from that. 
You know, what does it mean? What does it look like to say I'm broken? Now I need to find somebody who can point me to the fix to the one who's going to fix me. Where do I find the master carpenter? I'm falling apart. It's all good. <laughs> well, and, no, you know, I think... it's interesting because that that connects in with kind of where we started. We started talking about our society, you know, sliding and the church going right along with it. And, you know, the more that, that people in the church are not uh, addressing sin, the more that they're not helping each other through that, the easier it is for us just to just go along with uh, the way that society wants to steer the church. Uh, and and that's a that's a big part of this for sure. Yeah, I I also think there's there's an issue. A lot of churches don't practice church discipline anymore, real biblical mm. church discipline, because it seems harsh. Mm. But the the point of church discipline is not excommunication. You don't want to get to that point. That's not what anybody is hoping for. The point of church discipline is to come alongside somebody as a body, as a loving family of a church and raise people up out of their sin to help them to give them the the tools the the ability and the mindset of how to come out of this pit that they might have fallen in sometimes it does lead to excommunication and that's that's not good but even excommunication if we understand it biblically is to point somebody back and to Christ. repent to Christ to repent. I mean, right. uh, Paul talks about it in Corinthians. Send the person off to Satan. Give him up to Satan so that he might repent. I mean, the right. you know sometimes you, you just have talk. to you not to interrupt. Go ahead, finish what you were saying. Then I mean, I'll, so, I'll sometimes you know when you get to that point that that Jimmy was talking about where you're numb, you're seared, or whatever. <clears> sometimes <throat> that's all you can do. You can you know you have to let the person just. Right. You're a sinner. You have to, I mean, sometimes you just have to let somebody sin and, you know, hope that they're going to realize it. You know, you've done all you can. You're, you're not the savior. There's, there's a danger. I think in the other side, there's that savior complex where it's like, no, this person's in sin. I'm going to, you know, because I'm so, you know, whatever you have to, at some point kind of say, God, this is, in your hands it's always in his hands but you know for right. lack of a better term <laughs> sure so i think you know and, and that's very very you know great advice because here's the thing i think and and let me just start out by this for anyone who has ever been hurt literally or uh, spiritually or emotionally by a leader in in an authoritative position within a building that we call a church um let's talk uh because that is not like ty said so beautifully that is not the point excommunication isn't even the point there's a point to excommunication and again that's so beautifully you have to let and i think maybe even we we spend so much time debating you know evil and the purpose of evil what if one purpose of sin is to show the need for the savior because let me tell you something you don't know you need a savior until you know that you need saving and you don't know what you need saving from until you experience that and so i didn't find jesus so to say until i was at my lowest 
my lowest was seven times in seven days that I went to the hospital. For anyone who knows my testimony, to get shot up with some morphine. The gospel was preached. A few months later, it was believed, and I am a new creation in Christ, right? And it starts there. It, for some people, for other people, it, it, it's different. But bringing this all full circle, you know, practical steps and all of these different things, it starts with, I think, confession of sin, being willing to admit, I am a sinner. That's where we start. And then I think we talk about, you know, what we can do as church, you know, or let me ask that. What do we do if, once around the round table, if we could kind of wrapping up, how do we disciple people um, that want to be that, that have been hurt in that sense by someone in that, in that authoritative position? Um, let's start with Michael and then kind of go around real quick um, with that question in mind. I think we have to remember that some of uh, some of uh, Jesus' harshest words were for Pharisees, and these were people who were in a position of leadership with the Jews. They were supposedly the closest to God, and yet um, we know that they were just shiny on the outside, if you will. Right. So I think we would always just bring them back to Christ. Uh, he loves you. You're His. You belong to Him. Uh, and someone uh, who has a position of authority in his church has done you wrong, then he's very disappointed with them. He's angry with them. And, uh, and and by no means is there an excuse for it. And and we have uh, a church family. We have other people that we can go to. So that's another good thing about uh, our faith being so communal. Is that, that does happen. There are people that we can go to and, and people that, right. can, that can help with the healing. Because that, that is a problem to trust people in that authority position uh, sure. once someone in a similar position has, has done something like that or heard yeah. of it. Right. We've got just about 45 seconds left. So whoever wants to jump in and then we'll wrap up. Uh, I hate this because it goes so quick, but yeah, we've got time for one more person to kind of wind down. I'll just say something real quick. The first thing that I would want to do is get the context because sometimes what somebody perceives as being hurt by a church leader is really just actual discipline and they just take Mm -hmm. it as, as they're hurt. It's like, okay, well, we're going to deal with this and they kicked me out of the church. Well, what were you doing? Well, I was having an affair. Well, mm. you know, let's. Mm. So I think context matters. And I think absolutely getting the full story, definitely. Well, I think there's something to be said about the fact that sometimes sin can be the judgment on its own. And sometimes the consequence of sin is freaked louder than we ever could. So we just need to be paying attention. Right. And we're going to have to, it always happens. We will continue this discussion. Check out all of our episodes, completecenters.com. We will see you next time. Thank you guys. God bless. Good night. If you got any questions, hit us up, completecenter at gmail.com. Good night. God bless. Love y'all. See ya.